You are listening to the Loving Liberty Network, and this is the Liberty Moms Show. Liberty Moms are the original secretaries of defense. We are the defenders of the home front, and we are there when it comes to defending our families and our communities. And we're so happy to have you join us. I'm your host today, Delane England, and we have a packed show. We have a lot happening. If you are aware of um, in Utah, we have, I'm trying to do too many things at once. In Utah, we have a very short 45-day session, and we're in the thick of it. We're right in the middle of it, and I love that it's only 45 days for a lot of reasons because um, I only have my life held captive for 45 days, and it just goes super fast, and it's there's so much to work on and so much to fight. We have over a 1,000 bills that are being presented, and it makes it impossible to fight all of the bad bills that are in front of us right now. And we have a really packed show. We have a lot to cover, a lot to go over, and we're going to just jump right in. I'm so happy to welcome Liberty Mom, Kristen Chevrier. Kristen is the head of Your Health Freedom, and she has been serving not only the state of Utah, but literally, I mean, let's just be honest, not just Utah, not just America, but she has influenced and impacted people across the world with her research and with her dedication and the opportunity that every one of us have to get educated and to seek wise, wise information and to know what you should do with your own personal health. And Kristen has just been on the front lines. And I have had so much fun working with Kristen. I just love her. She's one of my very dearest friends. I have so much respect for her, and I love working with her. And um, today we're going to – we have so many things we could talk about, and I'm going to have Kristen back really soon to talk about hospital protocol and about our dear friend, which I'm so brokenhearted to say lost her life. But today we're going to talk about HB60, and that is – What's it called? No, it's called vaccine passport amendments. Passport amendments, but I call it no vaccine passport amendments. I kind of renamed it myself. <laughs> Should there be no misunderstanding? We want the bill to pass because we want no vaccine passports. So, Kristen, we worked really hard on this bill. So, just kind of lay out for us, if you would. It's made of, we've been through a few changes, but it's still a great bill. So, lay out what this bill does for us. Okay, so first of all, I want everyone to read this bill because there's been some confusion about what the bill actually says. So we are working with the second, or it's actually the first substitute, S1 is what we call it. So it's HB60, S as in substitute, 1. And you can find it at le.utah.gov, and then you go to bills, and then you go to 2022, which is the session that we're in right now. Well, and then- Kristen, not to interrupt you, but since we're short on time, if you just pull up le.utah.gov, the 
first thing that comes up is a tab, and you can just put the bill number right in there. Oh, you can just awesome. put HB60. Okay. You can put HB60, or you can put HB60S1, and it will pop the bill right up for you right on the front page. And then when you're reading that bill, make sure you click on S1 because it'll bring both. It'll bring both of them up. So make sure you go to the lower one and, and pop up S1. So I apologize. No, that's fine. That's fine. Okay. So there's a there was a line on line 20 that said something about emergency use authorization. Everybody needs to know right from the beginning that is out. Line 20 doesn't say that anymore. It says this bill enacts a prohibition on the use of an individual's immunity status by places of public accommodation governmental entities, and employers. That's what line 21 and 22 say now. So get get emergency use authorization out of your head. That's not in the bill anymore. What does the bill do? It prohibits vaccine passports as a condition of participation in the private sector, as most individuals perceive the concept of a vaccine passport, which is a violation of personal liberty. It prohibits any government entity from denying services to an individual on the basis of the individual's vaccination status, including whether the individual has has an immunity passport. It prohibits government and private employers from discriminating against their employees on the basis of the employee's vaccination status, including whether the individual has an immunity passport. It effectively protects or protects private businesses from being forced into acting as the medical enforcement arm of the health department by prohibiting all of those things above. And we have 2,000 at least businesses that are asking for this legislation because they don't want to be the enforcement arm and they have been forced into that with the mask situation. And they don't want to do that again. It defines some new terms, immunity status, immunity passport, vaccine status. Now, there are some exceptions for for facilities that receive Medicare and Medicaid funding. And the reason for that, this is only if their funding would be affected by compliance with the statute. The reason that we can't include these facilities is because they are under contract with CMS and we can't get between them and their contract without jeopardizing the entire bill. So we... Someday I would love to address that issue, but this is not the bill to do it in, or we can lose the whole thing. Yeah, it's it's frustrating. It's frustrating not to add that in, but we will not get the votes. We will not possibly, and we've worked very hard on that, and we can't get it passed because that will risk way too many things. And so that's that's a bill in itself for another time. But let's get as many people protected as we possibly can as soon as possible. Exactly. Some people are concerned that it looks like students are excluded from this, but they are not excluded because we passed a law in uh, January of last year or January, February in the session last year that put in place exemptions for higher ed. So we now have exemptions available pre-K through higher ed. So don't let that be a stumbling block for you. Um, and then why do we need it? Do, do I have time to go into a little bit of why yes. we need it? Yes, we do. And I just want to say, yeah, I love that you bring that up, Kristen, because, you know, no bill, I've never really seen a perfect bill. At least I have seen a perfect bill, but they never make it out. Yeah, <laughs> I've never seen a perfect right. bill pass because you have all of these different ideas and forces all over the place. And you have all these different s- stakeholders that want a different 
outcome. And so we do have to kind of give and take and have a little bit of compromise. We don't compromise our principles, but we don't always get everything we want. And so this bill isn't everything that any of us that have been working on want. But it is an excellent bill, and it's so much better than what we have now. We're, we're, we're making so many gains from where we are that it is absolutely worth everyone supporting. Yeah, it really is. So one of the things that I, I think is really important to understand, a lot of people say that we shouldn't be telling businesses what to do. Right. But first of all, we do tell businesses what to do. We tell them they have to have a license. And when they have a license, we tell them we can pull your license if you don't follow our rules. So that's already an issue. Another thing is that the line between business and government has been blurred by public-private partnerships, tax break incentives, other government subsidies, and even the licensing. So the governor has asked businesses to participate in the enforcement of vaccine mandates. And we have all of these businesses that have incentives from the government in order for them to to function. And, And so... Do you think that they can just say, no, we're not going to do this if they get heavy pressure from the government to do it? Not likely. And this is part of what happened with the mask mandates. So when you are beholden to the government for subsidies and perks, you lose your ability to function as a free market business. So exactly. that, is, that is part of the issue. And we saw it with mask mandates, the business owners, lots of business owners who would not normally have complied with such a mandate Um, did because they felt compelled to do so because they thought they might lose their license, they might get some kind of a heavy fine or somehow be penalized in another way. So they did it against their will. Um, And this actually frees the businesses from that burden. It gives them a buffer between them and the government where they can say, oh, sorry, we have this law where we are not allowed to do what you're asking us to do. And that makes it so that their workforce is freed up. They're not using the financial resources, the time, the focus, all of the things that go into tracking immunity status. It's a big job and it's expensive, especially for smaller companies. So this is actually a gift to the, especially to smaller businesses, but also to bigger businesses. This is something where you can just say, um, Gee, you know, I really can't do that because we have a law. Whereas right now, you can't say that as a business owner. You're kind of sitting there waiting for the next mandate to come along. And and what's going to happen when this mandate comes along? And can I say no to it? Or do I have to comply with it in order to maintain my license um, and whatever other ties that you have? And so, so this is really a gift. So another thing to think about is if a business or a government can demand that you participate in a medical procedure due to whatever emergency they want to bring up. Um, Say, for example, they decide that they want to call climate change an emergency. And and it's an emergency that's exacerbated by large families. What if they decide that everybody has to show the number of live births that they've had before they can enter a business establishment? And you can, you can say this is far-fetched, but it really isn't. I mean, you've got countries like China who have had the one-child policy where people have been denied access to society if they had more than one child. So it's not, this is not a far-fetched example. That's historical. It's happened in other countries. This is very historical. And Russia 
is just now because of the declining population, they've been incentivizing people to have small families, and now they're actually paying people to have more children. So this is not far-fetched at all. And so if right now, if we pass this bill, we can protect businesses from also from liability, not just from the the push from other outside influences to do this, but we can also protect them from liability, from any adverse reactions that their employees or their customers might have if they're pushing a vaccine mandate. If all they have to do is follow the law and refrain from enforcing vaccine passports. Now, how hard is that? Enforcing vaccine passports is much more difficult and it opens you up to liability. So again, it's a gift. It really is in the best interest of businesses because they're not in a position where they have, if they, if they make that mandate, then they really can be held and should be held accountable if they force it, but they can encourage, they can say, this is our standard. We want everyone to be, they can certainly encourage. They can say, this is what our platform for our business. But as a business owner myself, I find that I don't want the government to compel me to do any more. They already do too much. But I also respect that as an employer, I only have so much say and control over my employees. And I do feel that as an employer, I get to tell my employees what to do when they're at work, what to wear, what to say, literally how to behave and what to actually do when they're there. But at no time have I ever felt that I have power to tell my employees what they can do when they're not at work, or to make their medical decisions for them. And exactly. I think that's a really important key. It is. And and can you imagine if employers were supposed to be controlling everything that you did to build your health? What if, what if employers said, well, you have to eat broccoli three times a day, or, or you have to exercise, you have to make sure you're getting this many hours of exercise each week, or, or you're going to lose your job? Or, or you have to get this much rest. If you're not resting this much, then, then you lose your job. This is not the arena for business owners to be in. Business owners and government have no, businesses and government have no authority over this. And once you d- get yourself in there, how far else, how far is it going to go? You know, what other things are going to be affected? So another point is that minorities, I don't know how many of you have studied this deeply, but I've read several books on this. And one of one of the books that I read, it was called Darkness in, in El Dorado. And um, wow, that book was amazing. And it wasn't about vaccinations. It wasn't really about forced vaccinations. It was about um, scientists going into communities that are, Um, excluded from all other contact with the outside world and influencing them in various ways. But one of the ones that one of the ways was that they vaccinated them with um, with measles vaccine. And these scientists were so cold, they would vaccinate half of the population of a village and then see what happened. And they didn't care if the people died. That was not their concern. Their concern was the experiment. And, and so um, the other point that I want to make is that minorities and people in other countries have historically been used as guinea pigs. 
by science. And a lot of science experiments from the U.S. have been used on, in fact, I have a lady in my ward who was in a, in a um, area in Puerto Rico where they, they gave them a, a vaccine for leprosy. And she's got a hole in her arm to this really? day. Really? From that vaccine. So minorities have been the target of these kinds of experiments for many, many generations. And they don't want to be guinea pigs. So Any longer. No, not anymore. Yeah, they already were. Exactly. And, and have been. Yes. So they want to be able to make this choice. And so as a result, they are the most likely to be victims of discrimination in the job market because they don't want to be um, guinea pigs for an, another experiment. So there's a whole range of people that are protected by this bill and whose rights and, and right to, to bodily autonomy are protected. And everyone deserves informed consent. Nobody should be pushing anybody into any kind of medical procedure. Informed means that you have access to complete information. And consent means that you have the right to say no. And if you don't have both of those things, then there's a big problem. So um, this bill, is, it's the best I've seen, and I am just so excited about it, and I am hoping that we can get a bunch of people to come out. It's, uh, it will be in committee on Tuesday at 4 o'clock. We don't know the exact room. At least last time I checked, I didn't see the exact well, room. The, it's it's in the it's in the um, business and labor committee, which usually meets in room four forty five in the Capitol building, up on the fourth floor. That is a smaller committee room, so I am really wondering if they might change it just because of the interest in this bill. But if they don't change it, it will be in room four forty five, right. so people can kind of plan on when you get there four forty five. If it's not there then there will be signs and we'll be redirecting you to the correct and you, room. You will want to come early and you'll want to make sure you're wearing a coat in case you're standing in line outside for a while. And Probably and we won't be outside because it's not the special session. So the, the Capitol building is open. It is open. At 4 so o'clock, they're just finishing up floor time. So you will be inside. You will be able to wait inside. Um, so that won't be a problem. Plan on not bringing a bag if you don't. If you can help not bringing a bag, that's the best thing because you have to go through. The bag has to go through. Yeah, screened. But you don't have to get screened. And so, but they will have overflow because they're very accommodating. They're very great. When we have the 2,000 people we're expecting there, they will accommodate by putting everyone in additional rooms. But you do want to be there early. And also, I recommend carpooling because parking is a nightmare at best. Yep, that's true. So this bill, it, it helps the government to do its real job, and that is to protect individual rights. So come out and join us on to support the bill. We would love yeah. to have you there. We really would. We'd love to have lots and lots of people there. We really, seriously, the way to make a statement here is having 2,000 people show up. We will have stickers for you so that if you're supporting the bill, you will have a sticker that if you want to wear it, will let the legislators know where you stand so you don't have to speak. Just come and be heard. You have the ability to be heard without even speaking because they will see your stickers. They will see a room full of people supporting the bill, and they will know where we stand. Yep. So Thank you. 
Kristen, it has been really an amazing experience. And don't we just have so much respect and admiration for Representative Walt Brooks? Yeah, we really do. And it's it's hard to know unless you get up there and you actually work with these guys how difficult it is to negotiate and to get something that is is effective but it is also able to pass. I was I mentioned that to somebody the other day. We were having a discussion in a chat thread, and I know a lot of times these chat threads just get so um, volatile and and people get so emotional and and everything in them. And, and I pointed out, okay, so look at this, what's happening in this thread. And then remember that we need 38 uh, House reps, 15 senators, and the governor to agree on a bill in order for it to pass. Can you imagine what the range of opinions is in the legislature and how, um, how difficult those negotiations are in order to... to to please enough people to get a bill to pass. And we can just see it even in our own group where we agree exactly. that we don't want vaccine passports. We still can't agree on the methods. That's so, right. So it's, it's really important to understand what it takes to get a bill passed and, and then understand that we can't put everything into one bill. Yes, we can't get everything we want the first time it takes a few times, a few tries to get, and it is hard to get everything we want, but mostly we want to have liberty. We want to have our liberty and our rights protected because that is truly the role of the government. And so, Kristen, I just can't thank you enough for the great work that you have done and how you've been out front on this and how you worked so hard. We really appreciate it. And it really, even those who oppose this bill are blessed by your efforts. Because if they, agree, if they want to make everyone else be vaccinated, if they insist that everyone should be, they are still blessed to live in a country, in a world, where we can negotiate, where we can speak freely, where we can um, state our, our opinions. And to, because when we live in a place where you can mandate what someone puts into their body, injects into their veins, then we absolutely live in a totalitarian regime. We live in an absolute tyranny. We don't have freedom. Before I go, I just want to say that everything that Delane has said to me, I could say right back to her. (laughs) So about friendship and respect and all of the hard work that is so appreciated and so needed. Thank Thank you, you, Kristen. Thank you. It's been a joy. And so we invite everyone, please go read the bill, le.utah.gov, HB60. Put it in that first bar that comes up. Now, when that does come up, I did notice only the bill will come up, and then you'll pull up the bill, and on your right-hand side, it will say sub-1 or S1. That's what you want to read. Right, and it says other versions, other versions, versions. and then it's it's right in that little box. Exactly, yeah. Thank you so much, Kristen. You're wonderful. Thank you. Appreciate you. you We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Stay with us.
You are listening to the Loving Liberty Network, and this is the Liberty Mom Show. Liberty Moms are the original secretaries of defense. We are the real defenders of the home front, and we are there when it comes to defending our families and our communities. And I'm your host today. My name is Delaine England, and we're so happy to have you with us. And we have been talking to Liberty Mom Kristen Chevrier. We've been talking about HB60. That is no no, uh, vaccine mandates, excuse me, no vaccine mandates. And so we really invite everyone to put on your calendar right now, Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, that will be February 15th at 4 p.m. at the Capitol. I'm expecting it to be in room 445 in the Capitol, but we will you know, we'll have, if that, if it's not in 445, we'll definitely let you know. Plan to carpool because there's not enough parking up there as it is. So try to fill your car full of people and, and plan a little extra time because you might have to park a little ways away and you want to have time to park and walk and get there. And hopefully it will be a beautiful, lovely day that you can get some vitamin C, vitamin D while you're out walking. And we would invite everyone who is in support of your own personal liberty. This is really interesting because we've been kind of surprised at how the pushback that we have received. And the pushback has almost exclusively been from businesses who say we don't want the government to tell us what we can and can't do. Now, I have actually, my husband and I have a business and I have a business and I have employees. We both have employees and I do not like the government to tell me what we can and can't do. I don't want the government to be inserted between me and my business. But as Kristen said, I also, but that happens so much already and we don't really want to add on to it. But this bill actually really protects me as a business owner. Because whenever we do something like that, we know that it's a lot of things are, well, almost exclusively, when you can opt in, it's opt in today, it's mandated tomorrow. If we open this door to allow businesses to tell us what to do with our bodies, to make choices for us, our medical decisions, to decide what we do when we're not at work and what we can inject into our bodies and what we must in order to be employed, then we really have surrendered everything. Where where is the line? And that is where I think this bill does an excellent job of protecting all interest and kind of balancing that so that businesses are protected from the mandates of having to do it and having to report and having to keep track. And one of the one of the owners of one of the biggest biggest construction companies in the state of Utah, I was visiting with him when this bill was, it wasn't this exact bill, but with this, the precursor to this bill when we were discussing in the special session. And he told me that he would lose 18 to 19% of his employees if this mandate went through. Because those people are committed to their conscience. They're committed to their divine right by God to choose for themselves. And they will leave. And he said, we don't want to lose those excellent employees. And 
it's not easy to just go get a job somewhere else because if you've been someplace for 10 or 15 or 20 years, you have seniority, you might have a pension plan, a retirement, you definitely have climbed the ladder, You're, you leave your job and go work for someplace else, you may lose all that. It's not a simple thing. And so it isn't as simple as, oh, just go get a job somewhere else because if you have the big, big businesses all in forcing their employees or their or or and their customers or clients to do this it it changes america it completely changes america and it sets a completely different tone vaccine passport cards are something we have never done we decided years ago 20 years ago when aids was an epidemic we made a conscious decision nationally across our nation that we would not be asking people about their personal private medical information or decisions that that was a private a private right that people did not have to disclose even though AIDS was highly contagious and also very deadly we decided because of civil rights because of a person's autonomy over their body we would not subject that to people and that I think is really the same issue here I would like to just take a really brief moment and explain the difference between free enterprise capitalism and crony capitalism because I think this is something that conservatives and Republicans do not um, either understand or do not explain to people and I think it's really important to understand the difference because we have legislators saying well we don't want to tell businesses what they can and can't do which I agree with that premise but what's happening is we have businesses that are taking money from the federal government they're being incentivized and so they're not free enterprise see free enterprise is the free exchange between a company and its employees and customers where they have a, a an open and free exchange of value I create value for you in exchange for that value that I create you compensate me with equal compensation for the value. So you create value for me by paying me in some way for the value that I have created for you. So it's both voluntary and it's also a win-win because both parties create value and both parties exchange that value. And it's always based on a moral, on a moral foundation. Because America was not founded on crony capitalism or even capitalism. It was founded on the free enterprise system. It was founded on a moral foundation. And I think it's very important to remember that. We do not, as a nation, support businesses or should not in just making money, but in creating value and exchanging that value equally so that there is a win-win. Now, capitalism is the right to make money. Okay, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's a fair exchange, but it does mean that you make money. That isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it's not the same as the free enterprise system. And what we don't often talk about is crony capitalism, which is something, again, a totally different bird because crony capitalism, and we're, we're ever so aware of the crony capitalists in our nation and in our world and in our state. And young people are ever so aware of the crony capitalism. And this is where you have a business who not only 
doesn't, well, they don't care about their employees or their customers or clients, and they are willing to make money at the expense of their employees and their clients. So they're, they're not all, they're not just there to make money. They are willing and, and desire to make money at all costs and they don't care what it does to anyone else. And that is not capitalism. That is crony capitalism. And we used to have laws against these things. We still have them. We don't always honor them. We don't always enforce them, but we have a lot of big companies and tech companies are a perfect example. Many of the social media and the big tech companies, they don't care what they do to their clientele. They're not interested in creating value. They're interested in making money. And so you have a lot of these big, big companies that are willing to destroy the lives of, of their own clients, of who makes them wealthy, who makes them rich. And so we are under no obligation as a community and as a state, as a legislature, or as a people to protect crony capitalists. And if they really care about their employees and their customers, why would they force something on them that is a violation of their conscience? This is something that has really come straight from God. This is in our First Amendment. The very First Amendment says we have a right of our religion and to exercise, the right to exercise our religion. That means anywhere, including the public square. So we have a right to our religion, and our conscience is the essence of what our religious beliefs are. It is truly our right of conscience. And so that should not be stomped on because, not because it's listed in the First Amendment, to the Constitution, but it's listed in the First Amendment to the Constitution because it is a God-given right that we have, that God gave us, our right to our conscience. And the more that we are moral and good, the more freedom that we have. And so I would just ask everyone to be sure and write your legislators and let them know how you feel. And you can go ahead and write every House member even though it's coming up in committee, I'm confident that it will pass committee and it will be on the floor. So I'd invite you to write all of your House members, and you can even write your senators and get them prepped and primed, that this is a very important bill. And let them know right now how important it is to you that your right to your autonomy is protected. And it is not about whether you should or should not be vaccinated. I want to make that very clear because it isn't about the efficacy or the safety of vaccinations. That's another discussion. But if you think they're the most wonderful thing in the world and you want to get them, I totally respect that and I honor it. But most people I know that have been vaccinated also agree that no one should be forced, that we should be able to do it if we want to of our own free will. And that we shouldn't have laws or um, employers that force us to violate our conscience in order to have or to keep our jobs. So um, I just want to kind of put a little bit into perspective too. You know, when smoke, when cigarettes first were invented, when they first came out, if you go back and look, you'll see that when they came out, who sponsored, who was the one who was driving the sales of cigarettes? You'll, you may or may not be surprised to find out that was actually the medical Western medicine was pushing 
cigarette smoking. Doctors would be in the ads and they would advertise cigarette smoking as these are wonderful. They calm your nerves. They make you feel calm and relaxed. And so you, if you Google, you will still see these. They're very classy looking ads that show the doctors in the ads supporting cigarette smoking. And then as time has moved and come along, we've recognized that AMA, Western medicine, maybe isn't without flaw, not maybe not as brilliant as we might think that they are, and they are very prone, very prone to making errors and mistakes, that it's um, a constant learning curve. And so I want you to keep that in mind, not only with HB60, but also with HB11 and HB127. So HB127 is a bill that it's called medical procedures. And it originally simply said that no one under, uh, no minor, no one under the age of 18 would be able to have either a cross-sex hormones and puberty blockers administered to them or surgery, um, sex reassignment surgery on a minor. And it wasn't about adults. It never has been because adults have the right to choose for themselves. And they also get to choose the consequences. And they have and they get to embrace and hold those consequences. But children are often very swayed by media, by their friends, and really by what they learn in school and by their environment. And, you know, children, young people do suffer a lot of insecurities and they do suffer from not really knowing who they are or what they really want. And so it, this is, it is an issue and it's very real. And young people, gender dysphoria is a real, a real thing. And young people really do suffer from it. And I have nothing but just compassion for these young people. I cannot even imagine how traumatic that is. And so I, because we love our young people and because we recognize that because of their youth and their innocence, because of their brain still in the process of being developed and their personalities and their, their literal emotional quotients are being developed, that they should not be making irreversible, life-changing decisions in such youth. Now, the reason that the people who, the, med- the, West, uh, the medical profession, the specifically those who seek to transgender young people, the reason that they have targeted young people is because it's a, it's a completely huge, just an outburst of a new market. And the reason they have zoomed in on these young people is because they, most of them won't want a reassignment surgery or to reassign. They will outgrow their gender dysphoria if they're allowed to grow up without these hormones and without the surgery until they're an adult. The adults rarely ever want to make that change. But, and 98% of boys that are young that suffer from gender dysphoria, 98% of them will decide 
they they will stop suffering from it. They will realign themselves with their DNA, with their actual biological sex, and be very happy throughout their lives. 88% of girls will realign with their DNA that cannot be changed, that cannot be altered with no matter how much surgery or hormone therapy that you give anybody, child or an adult, you cannot change their sex. That is in their biology. It is in in their DNA. So there isn't a way to change that. So it's very important to allow these young people to grow up, to let their brains develop, let their bodies develop, let them have a little life experience and let them work things out on their own. And then if they decide they want to do that, they have every right and capacity to do it. But what is also true is Planned Parenthood is the second largest disseminator uh, prescriber of these cross-sex hormones. And they are making a lot of money. And it costs 500000 to $600,000 per person to go through this sex reassignment or I should say gender reassignment, because you can't really reassign someone's sex. So the gender reassignment procedures are very, very expensive, and they do make a certain segment of society extremely wealthy. And I think that just to tie this in, that there again lies where we have crony capitalism. Crony capitalists don't care what they do to their customers or to their patients. They want to make money. And of course, some of them are delusional and they've deluded themselves into thinking they're creating value. They don't look at the statistics. They don't look at the research. They don't look at the individual child and think, you know what? This child is a child. Let's give them a chance to grow up first. Let's give them a chance to figure this out on their own. So HB 127 medical procedures will be coming up in the legislature next week. It was scheduled for Monday morning at 8 a.m. You may have been notified of that. It was scheduled. We have some people that are considered leadership in our state who don't want that bill. They've been holding it back the entire session. It was ready to go before the session. They've watered it down considerably. At this point, the bill does not forbid all young people to receive uh, any kind of medical treatment. What it does now is there is no surgery for young people and they have to wait until after they're diagnosed with gender dysphoria. They must wait two years before they start on the cross-sex hormones. And so that will buy them a little bit of time. So that will literally save lives. That will literally save some lives. Not as many as we want, but that is a good thing. And then also in the bill is a component for data. So it allows it requires the medical profession to store up and save and make public the data on how many people have what done and then what happens. So that way we were able to go back in a few years, look at the data, see what's happening, and then we can make um, other decisions based on where we are at that time. And we would love to see um, at least some, if not all, of our young people saved from this. So, We invite everyone to attend. I'm sorry, I don't know exactly what day it will be. It'll either be Wednesday or Thursday, and it will likely be 8 o'clock in the morning, but keep your eyes peeled, and you can go online again and watch and see le.utah.gov, 
type in that first bar that comes up, type in HB 127, and it will bring up the bill. And you can read the bill, which is great. I would love everyone to read it. And then it will also tell you when it is on the schedule. And we will keep you informed the best we can. Okay, but in place, they did a leadership did a little switch. So in place of HB 127 medical procedures, they have put Monday at 8 a.m. They have put HB 11, and that is originally that bill last year and I believe the year before was girls sports, and it was designed to say only girls, only biological girls can participate in girls sports. Now, that bill has changed so dramatically that I am no longer in favor of the bill. I am absolutely adamantly, vehemently adamantly against the bill because, again, it not only undermines young people, particularly boys who are suffering from gender dysphoria, it completely gets away with or gets away from girls' sports. It will completely undermine girls' sports because it will allow – any boy who's been taking the cross-sex hormones for a year to be able to participate on girl sports in junior high and high school. Um, that will change girl sports dramatically. And once we put into code that a boy, a biological boy, can play on a girl's team, once we put that in code, that will just go, well, we let the high school girls, the high school boys do it. Um, we will let the college boys do it. Why? And we will just, it will go to everywhere in society. And we can look at all of history and it will show that that is the case. This is much more than the, the camel's nose in the tent. This is putting into code that biological boys can now participate in girls' sports. And then girls that have been participating in these sports have scholarships that have been working very hard and they've been coming in first, second, third place will be pushed out of their own sport. And that that is not right. Girls and women have worked for literally decades to create a platform and a forum where they can participate against other girls and other women. We've worked very, very hard, very hard for that to happen. And there are resolutions for these beautiful, sweet, innocent young people that are suffering from gender dysphoria. We, it is time to create a place for them to participate and they can participate against each other. And that is the ideal. Anyone who has been transitioned can can create their own sports and participate against each other. And they can create their own league and their own opportunities within each other. Also any boy that is a biological boy that transitions to a girl is, does have the opportunity to play on boys sports. So they still have the opportunity to play they can still participate and get involved in sports because sports are wonderful. They're very, they're, they're wonderful. I just want to, we're about out of time, but I wanted to inform everybody of SB 88 digital driver's license. Now that bill uh, actually kind of went down a couple of days ago, but I wanted to tell you why that went down and what it was really about because it's digital driver's license. So it sounds very innocuous, like if it's just an opt-in, anybody who wants to can have their driver's license digitally on their phone. And that sounds really great. We've actually been doing it for the past year. 3,000 people in the state of Utah have opted to do that. But here lies the problem. I invite everyone to do a little bit of research and a little bit of digging. Once you put all that information on your phone, those that are behind digital driver's licenses have been 
absolutely clear about their mission and what it is, and that is to control people through the digital driver's license. Well, our time is up. I hope you remember that you're in charge of your own liberty and have a beautiful day. Thank you. Thank you.